Well, good morning again. Uh, we have a video that plays on our live stream during our greeting time that you just experienced right there. And if y'all get quiet really fast, then then the video just keeps playing and they're waiting for it to get finished to play up here. Anyway, I only tell you that because Brandon was back there and he goes, as I was coming out, he goes, hey, the Sunday where you mentioned that uh, there's going to be no quiet time, there was a lot of quiet time just now. So I hope you survived that uh, 10 seconds of quiet or whatever. Uh, and today really is, I peel back the curtain metaphor because today is uh, a Sunday where I want to peel back the curtain a little bit. And uh, this morning we finish a sermon series on prayer. Next week we'll start a series of sermons on, on the words Jesus said as he hung on the cross. We're going to learn a lot about who Jesus is and what he thinks about us and what he did for us in those words. I'm looking forward to it. But today we finish this series on prayer. And for the most part, the series has been about your personal prayer lives, about how we pray, how we interact with God as individuals. And today as we close in kind of this last passage of scripture that, that Paul writes about prayer, we're really finishing with, with something that is very corporate in nature, something about us as a church. And here's uh, what's if you want, today's going to be very pastoral if you want to know the truth because there, there are certain things I just, I just think are wrong in, in the church. And one of them, since I was young, I mean, since before I should have even cared about, about how churches operated, one of the things that has always just bothered me is the lack of prayer when we come together as a church. I grew up in a church, and maybe you know this phrase, maybe you don't know this phrase, but I grew up in a church that was uh, seeker sensitive, and that was their words, not a, a judgment call if you feel negatively about seeker sensitive churches or positive. It was not us making a judgment call, it was the church simply saying, look, we, we exist uh, and our Sunday gatherings are all about seekers, people that don't know Jesus, people that maybe are interested in Jesus and want to come here and learn. And, and, and there's, a, there's a place for some of that in church for sure. But one of the things I think it did in the church that I grew up in, and in every church I've really been a part of, is that it has really caused prayer to be this thing that maybe one guy does for 30 seconds during the course of a church service and nobody else really participates in. On the other side of that, what I've seen, uh, I dated an Episcopalian girl, I've been to Catholic Mass many times, there, there's corporate prayer where we kind of have rehearsed prayer. But what I haven't often seen is churches gathered together and, and spending important time praying. I don't even really know exactly what that looks like. But I do know that early in my ministry, my time in professional ministry, nobody would call it that if they knew me, but uh, early in my time pastoring, I led the young adult group at this church, and, and we did something that was magnificent but it was so strange all in one. We would, we, we would, it was in my apartment and just this thing kept growing. You're gonna sound like I bet nobody came. I bet like this, this was a shrinking, dying thing. But I mean, it just kept growing and growing and growing. And, and what we did at the beginning of every gathering that we had is we just turned the lights off without any explanation and, and our music leader would, would just start strumming his guitar 
And then people would get up and they would walk around and they would pray for others and they would lay their hands on them and people would sit silently and pray. And, and we, had, <laughs> we had no interest, I guess, in what some you know, random person off the street would think if they walked into this meeting. But people kept coming that, that were unchurched even. They would show up and they would be, uh, I don't know, they would come back. And, and it was, honestly, one of the most beautiful things that I've ever been a part of leading, if you could even say I was leading and I was just sitting there and, and praying myself. But it was one of the most beautiful things I've ever been a part of. And, and, and out of that, as I was leading that, then I became the pastor of our church. And I remember really early on that I thought, do we just do that? I mean, do we just, is that what we do on Sunday? Should I just copy that and, and put it into place? And then I thought about people that were older than me in our congregation. I thought, you know what's going to happen? Is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end up with, with my young adult group here at church with me, and, and we'll be fine, we'll grow and all of that. But, but, but I don't want to be a, a guy, I don't want to be a person or a pastor that, that just leads in such a way that only people who are ready to be like me are going to be with me. And so I thought, well, the people older than me, they're just going to leave if we just start doing that. And so what do, how, do we, how do we move towards having a Sunday service that is filled with prayer when it's so culturally, at least in our background and in many backgrounds, it's so culturally abnormal to, to even be asked to pray when churches gather, which isn't that so strange that it's weird that we would pray when we gather together and not just some guy on a stage would pray. That's so weird. But as I sit here today, uh, I, 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 you know, I've been analyzing our church a lot lately and now, if you're not part of our church, you're new, and you may not care about this at all, but, but I've been analyzing it a lot lately, because our church in the last year has, has experienced significant growth, and uh, all this momentum that's seemingly been building through the years has really magnified in the last year, and uh, we just crossed the, the 100 attendance mark this year. We'll average about 110 people uh, this year on Sundays, and I pastor almost 200 people now, and, and that's a much bigger number than it's been in the past, and uh, you should come a higher percentage of the time. You see how those numbers don't add up? But uh, I pastor about 200 people. I have 110 people here on Sundays. And, and I, I'm seeing that, and I'm hearing, and I'm reading, and I'm learning that we have now crossed in kind of attendance and amount of people in our church into a, just a new realm of, of how church is done. Uh, I'm realizing that that my job and my role and, and how I do things is, is changing and has to change for us to continue to reach people and, and to work at helping all people in this community experience and express the glory of God. I, I, we added to our staff last year, that's new. I think they think I have no clue what I'm doing, you know, like it's all, it's all, it's all new. And one of the things I'm seeing is that as our church continues to grow, it's going to be harder and, and harder to make changes. When we had 28 people showing up on Sundays and I was a brand new pastor, I could say, hey, we're doing it this way, you know, and, and that was just what we did. We just did it this way we did, and we're doing it differently next week. But, I, but I'm at a point and I see that we are at a point where we really have to ask is what we are, what we want to be. 
And in a lot of ways, the answer is absolutely, undeniably yes. I am so thankful for the work that men and women at this church have done to lay an incredible foundation where we are focused on God's glory and we are doing many things. If you do everything that, that we offer at this church, then you will grow in your relationship with God. You will grow in your ability to bring God glory. If you don't participate, I can't help you very much. But if you do, there's an incredible foundation here. There's good ministry here. There's great people here. There's so many things that I love. But looking all the way back, I still kind of just miss a gathering on, on, you know, a main gathering that is so soaked in prayer uh, that, it, that it almost feels weird to an outsider, but, but important to everybody who's a part of it. I don't have answers, but I, I know that this passage of scripture that I'm going to read tells me in some ways uh, what, what I, uh, this. I have failed in moving our church forward as a church that engages in sincere, expectant, fervent, and persevering prayer when we have our corporate gathering. Now, if you're new here, you, you may have gone already. You may have said there's been more prayer here than in a lot of churches, right? I mean, we have a prayer time up front before we start singing where you pray silently. And, and then we have a directed prayer that Brandon just led uh, right before I come up and preach or the video prays and, and I come up and preach. And, and, and so we've made, you can tell there's been a commitment here to praying when we gather. But I think it needs to go another step forward, especially as I read the passage of Scripture that I'm going to read in just a minute. We have a first Tuesday prayer meeting at our church, and it has been the hardest thing to get people to engage in. And as I pondered this sermon and I thought about this sermon, I, I, I'm convinced that part of the reason it's so hard to get people to go and, and pray for an hour is because we have, not, we have not pushed people to do something bigger on Sunday mornings. We have not successfully enough communicated the importance of prayer within the gathering. And, and let's, be just, let's be honest, right? Like in the American church, uh, we'll start to reflect what happens in our church services, right? For better or worse, we'll start to reflect kind of the flavor of Christianity that takes place when we gather with our church, if we do that consistently, and I'm thinking about like why has it been like pulling teeth to get people to show up once a month for one hour? We don't go more than an hour. I cut it off. I mean, Holy Spirit, you're moving like crazy. Well, I told people an hour. It's an hour, right? Like we, it's one hour and we can't get people to do it. We get some people to do it. But we, we can't get, you know, as many people as we'd like to do it. And I think it's partly because we haven't made a big enough deal about the importance of prayer when we come together as a church. Here's what Paul says in 1 Timothy 2.1. A book, by the way, 1 Timothy is a book that at the beginning of this year, I just listened to it over and over and over again. I, I'm really kind of obsessed with the book of 1 Timothy because it's a, a letter to a young pastor primarily about how he ought to live his life as a pastor and how he ought to help people in his church live out their faith, especially within the confines, the context of church. And, and so it's important to me that we pay attention to what Paul has written to this young man named Timothy. And here's what he says in 1 Timothy 2.1. I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. I mean, that first phrase is really humbling. Uh, first of all. 
first of all. It's not like the first item on his list. It's not like a transition statement. When Paul says first of all here, it, it seems, according to most commentaries, more according to people that I read anyway, that, that he means like this is the, of the utmost importance. If you have to choose between music when you gather or prayer, you pick prayer. If you have to choose between the sermon when you gather and prayer, then pick prayer. If you have to choose between hanging out together and having a good time together when you gather, then choose prayer. Prayer for all kinds of people within the context of a church gathering is of the utmost importance. It might be the single most important thing that we can do when we come together. And most churches around our country today will have one guy say a prayer from the front or they'll have some rehearsed prayers and I think there's a place for that. It will be at our Ash Wednesday service. But rehearsed prayers that people aren't really even thinking about and cannot even begin to encompass the idea of praying for all people. Paul uses these words for prayer that uh, I'll just be up front. They probably are meant to the repetition is meant to just say prayer is really important. Uh, but, but there is some distinguishing characteristics of these four words that he uses for prayer that really help us to know the different kinds of prayer that we should be praying when we come together. The first word, request, this is a petition made to God that comes from a place of deep spiritual need or longing. When we bring our requests to God, we are saying to God, I am in desperate need of your help when it comes to the things of the soul of the Spirit. Stephen J. Cole, a great Bible teacher, says this about it. Sensing our lack and God's sufficiency, our impotence and God's omnipotence, and it should move us to pray. I mean, when we are together, there should, be, there should be time for us to look up at God and say, I am, I am desperate for you to move in my life. There is no goodness in me without you. There is no hope for me without you. I am desperate. We are desperate for you to do a work in us. He then says prayer, and this is the most general and common word for prayer in the New Testament um, but that doesn't mean we should skip right over it. I think that it reminds us that we, should be, that we should be praying all kinds of prayer. We've seen many things about prayer in this series. If you haven't been here, go back and listen or watch. But we've seen a lot about prayer. And, and as Paul includes kind of this general word for prayer, it's a reminder that, that, that we should be praying all kinds of things. And we'll come back to that in a second. He uses this word intercession in Hebrews 7, 25. It says, therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, talking about Jesus, because he always lives to intercede for us. It's about being a go-between uh, for somebody, on somebody's behalf. One blog post I read said there's two things that are part of this, and I really like this. One, that we can go to God freely. My favorite 
verses on prayer in the Bible uh, I'm not preaching on in this series. I've actually never preached on them, uh, at least since I've, maybe when I was a youth pastor. But, but I love what Hebrews 4, 15, and 16 says because while, while Paul teaches about prayer and, and kind of gets into the nitty-gritty, I think that Hebrews 4, 15, and 16 gives, gives us a great picture of what prayer looks like. It says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are yet he did not sin so in other words because of Jesus listen to what he says next let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need when, when we pray just so we can get a picture of it I mean like there's there's many ways to picture what prayer is and what it looks like and and how we should do it and uh, you know how we should imagine God even when we're talking to God there's there's a million things that people say but I think nobody has said anything better than Hebrews 4 16 which says we we approach the throne what does that say about God that God is the ruler and, and the one who reigns over us When we pray, we are coming to God as we would come to a king. We are coming to God as God, recognizing his place of ultimate authority. But then notice what the writer of Hebrews says about the throne. It's the throne of grace. And so we approach God as as though he is an ultimate authority, because he is, but we also approach him recognizing the incredible grace that we have because of what he did through Jesus. And we approach that throne of grace with confidence, with confidence, expecting God to respond so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Isn't that beautiful? And when intercession is stated here, part of it is just knowing that we can go to God freely. But the other part of intercession, and if you've grown up in a church setting, you you may already know this. If you've been a part of this series, you may already know this. Part of intercession is that it's for somebody else. And so when we gather, we should be praying for other people. At the beginning of the series, I had a rock up here, and I, I was looking at a passage of Scripture where Paul says that to pray for somebody is to help them carry their burden, whatever that burden might be. And when we gather, we shouldn't just pray for ourselves. We shouldn't just pray for because we are desperate for God to move in us. We should be praying for others. I love that. And then this, this last word. Oh, no, no, I want to, I just, let me back up one second. When we think about interceding for somebody, I mean, our, our, our church has a prayer list that's very long, and, and, and some of those prayers are, are just for our prayer group that are private. We don't just put them out, you know, on the internet and everything. But there's a long list of prayers for, you know, public consumption. And I was thinking about, as I thought about intercession this week, just the humility and vulnerability it takes for somebody to say, can you pray for me? Now, let me be clear. There have been times in my life when I've asked for prayer because I'm too lazy to pray about it. Maybe you've been there too, uh, right? Like, you're like, well, I should probably pray about this, but hey, Bob, can you? I don't know why I always say Bob when I make up a name, but, uh, but Bob, can you, can you pray about this for me because you don't want to do it? But most of the time, I think, when somebody approaches you with a prayer request, they're basically saying, look, I don't know what to do about this. I don't know how I'm gonna get through about this, and I'm feeling completely desperate and probably most of the time they're saying, I'm, I've prayed about it, but I just need other people to pray about it too. And so how dare we go like cool and then not pray, right? 
And I would say, how dare we not use our time together, gathered, when we believe that God is uniquely present with us, to turn our eyes to him and say, God, will you please help those people that have needs? The last word that Paul uses for prayer is thanksgiving. We've talked a lot about this in this series because it keeps coming up. If there's been one single point in this series, if I've learned one thing about what Paul wants for us when it comes to the topic of prayer, what the New Testament says about prayer, it's this, do it, pray. It's been so consistent in this series. Every one of these passages, it, like the, at the very center of it, at the heart of it is, is pray. You may not know how to do it. You might be worried about doing it right, but just chuck all that and pray. Be a person of prayer. Be a church of prayer. But if there's been a secondary point, if there's been a number one sub point, it's as you pray, make sure that you also include thanksgiving in there. I think I've, I've become better at that in this series. Like, like when I'm praying to God, I've always kind of just said, thank you a lot in my prayers and I said that in this series I'm pretty good about that but but a lot of times it's just like I you know it's I might as well be just uh reading something right like hey God thanks for my family and yada 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 you know it's like that but I've been more intentional because of what I've learned in preaching these sermons to say like God you know what thank you thank you for this and thank you for that and even the things that I'm struggling with that I'm then going to say God will you help me to say God you know like I don't know this is not a real thing right now but God I'm struggling with my kids and and disciplining them I have awesome kids I'm not struggling with that right now fingers pray uh but uh but but if I would you know to say as I said last week God I thank you for my children and would you please help me you know, with your spouse, with your job, with everything, it's so easy to skip right to like, I just need help with this. This isn't going right. This is wrong, you know. But to go, God, I thank you for my spouse. I thank you for my job. I thank you for this house, even though it needs repairs. I thank you for that friendship, even though it's not exactly what I want it to be. I, th I thank you that you've given me these things. Thanksgiving should be part of prayer and it should be part of our corporate prayers. We should be thanking God when we gather and together. Ephesians 6, 18, you might remember this says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions and with all kinds of prayers and requests. Philippians 4, 6 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. You see a theme begin to emerge. Pray about as much as you can pray about. Pray about Pray for as many people as you can pray about. Pray as often as you can pray. We need to be a people of prayer. Uh, Paul says here specifically we should pray for all people. This, this obviously doesn't mean every person, right? That would be uh, impossible to do. But it means to pray for all kinds of people. Race, nationality, social position. Uh, you should be praying for people you like and people you don't like, people who have had bad circumstances and people who have created their own consequences and now need your prayers. You should be praying for all people. I've said before in this series that it's easy to, to look at Paul's words like when he says pray without ceasing or on all occasions pray and say, well, I can't do it, it's impossible. And it'll be easy to come here and say, well, I can't pray for all people. But the question is not whether or not you can or you cannot pray for every person the, the question is more how many people can you pray for that's how we should apply this to our lives 
And I would just say, as, as, as today is about, I think this passage is about what we do corporately, how many people can we pray for when we come together? What if that was like one of the key questions as we were figuring out what to do in a service every Sunday? How many people can we pray for when we come together? What this tells me, this, this first verse, and we're going to look at a few more, but what this tells me is, is that when we gather, I mean, the church should be a place where, where, where we are crying out in, in desperate need to God. I just don't think we're doing that. And, and where we are praying all kinds of prayers, where we are together looking up at God and going, God, I need this, and I need help with that, and I need help with this, and I need help with that. And then saying, and, and by the way, God, they need help with this, and they need help with that. And so will you please extend your mercy and your grace to them because they need help. And God, in the midst of all of it, we thank you for the work that you are doing. He gets more specific. He says, pray for all people. And then he says, for kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. And the specific group that he points to here are really uh, the leaders of the government, kings and all who are in authority. All who are in authority would encompass emperors and governors and local authorities, magistrates, things like that in uh, you know, the first century world. And, and today, I, I think it would be the people who, who rule us in some ways, the mayor and governor and senators and uh, uh, the word just slipped my mind, but those other people who are in uh, the House of the Representatives, thank you, um, and the president and the vice president. And I mean, we should be praying for these people. I mean, the application of this passage is really simple. Are we praying for President Trump? And before anybody gets mad, are we praying for Kate Brown? Are we doing this? Are we doing this? I mean, are you? And, and as we gather, are we praying for these people that, that have put, been put into power? Are, are we praying for them? And are we praying things that are going to lead to, uh, to peace for us and the ability to live quiet and godly lives? And I, and I don't think that that's happening enough in in the american church now there's some bipartisan if we headed south right now we could find a lot of people who are are praying for for president trump and 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 praying that people like kate brown will die uh you know i mean that's probably real all over our country this morning but 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 are we taking seriously the call to pray for all of our leaders as we pray for all people stephen j cole again says the the purpose for such a life is not that we might be comfortable and happy when he talks about peace and godliness. Uh, it's not that we might be comfortable and happy, but so that we can grow in godliness and dignity with a view toward the maximum spread of the gospel. Both words, godliness and dignity, point to the outward manifestation of Christian virtues. Paul is concerned here with the testimony of God's people. That's at the heart of praying for our leaders. At the heart of praying for our leaders is that they, their work would result in us having the freedom to live out our faith in the way that God has called us to so that the watching world, the watching world will come to believe that Jesus is the Savior of all. That's at the heart of our prayers. Now I think contextually, contextually biblically but also our context just how america is today 
This has great implications on how we talk about politics in general. When Paul says to pray for your government leaders, Paul is saying pray for your government leaders so that there is an environment in which people outside of the faith will want to come into the faith because of the testimony of the people in the church. And today, a lot of people just seem to slander their leaders. They seem to slander their leaders, and it is not, I'm just being honest with you because I, I watch what happens, it is not a good testimony to the outside world. We should be praying for those leaders so that we may have the freedom to live godly lives that bring people into the faith, but I also think as we pray for that environment, we should do our best to create that environment, remembering that the watching world is paying attention to how Christians respond to everything and looking for a reason to not believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world. He continues in verses three through seven, this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved. See the context? God wants all people to be saved, so pray for your leaders who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself up as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time, and for this purpose I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying. And a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. This is the basis for what we've just read. Why should we be praying for all people? Because God wants all people to be saved, and not only that, the people who are saved have been saved by the incredible grace of Jesus who gave his life as a ransom. He paid the price for their sins. Notice these two phrases, God our Savior who wants all people to be saved, and Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all people. Our prayers are, are, are founded in the Christian belief that God has sent his son into the world to die for all people. That's foundation. If we forget about that, our prayers will, will you know, they're not going to be what they should be. I mean, Jesus is the mediator because he gave himself as a ransom. He paid for our sin, and God wants all people to be saved. Pay attention to those words. And I would just say, if you ever doubt if God wants to save you, if he wants to have a relationship with you, the answer is right here, he does. God wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to have a relationship with all people. And so Jesus came into the world to die for the world, for all people, so that if we believe in him, we may never perish but have eternal life, as it says in John three sixteen. When we pray, it should always be evangelistic in nature. I mean, we should always have a slant towards wanting more and more people to come into a relationship with God. J and D Kelly, who wrote a commentary, you're so smart if you get to use three initials, I feel like. like uh, but J and D Kelly says, it is the fact that Christ died for all men without any kind of favoritism. And this makes it obligatory for Christians to pray with all of them, for all of them without distinction. If Jesus was willing to die for all people, then we should be willing to pray for as many people as we can, regardless of whether or not we like them or we think they deserve it or anything like that. We should reflect the grace of Jesus in our prayers. This is what Paul does. Paul outlined the special nature of his own ministry in order to prove the validity of praying for all people. That's how the New American Commentary said it. I mean, Paul says, look, look at my ministry and the work that's being done. 
And as you reflect on how God is reaching people, make it a priority to pray. As you reflect on the work that God is doing through me, make it a priority to pray for all people, partly so that all people may come to know Jesus as their Savior. Listen to these three things that Paul challenges us on in prayer. We should pray for all people. Our prayers should include requests, petitions, and thanksgiving. And our prayers should be slanted towards evangelism. The ultimate aim is God's glory and not our own glory when we pray. And then there's just this one more verse. This is really important. Paul says, therefore, and when you read therefore, when you read therefore, you've got to ask what it's there for. Right? If, you're, if you've never heard that before, I'm glad I was the first one. If you have, I'm sorry that it was so cliche, but they said it like a thousand times to me in college. Uh, Therefore, I want the men everywhere, I want people everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. Because this should be a part of our lives. I want you in your gatherings, men everywhere, to pray, lifting up holy hands hands this is about the worship of the local church that's what this is about and maybe it's easy to go hey one through seven all apply it at home right but Paul makes really clear here and what follows if you just keep reading you can go read this is about corporate worship what we do when we gather together and he's like here's what I want you to do if it wasn't enough for him to say first of all he's now saying I want you people to pray lifting holy hands there's a bunch of stuff that's really important your first prayer should be a part of church gatherings if you didn't think that I thought that, then you haven't been paying attention, right? Like prayer should be uh, an integral and important part of every gathering of the church. Second, lifting hands was a culturally normal way to pray. Uh, and so the mandate here isn't that we lift our hands, but, but man, let me just tell you something. Throughout the Bible, and if you were in the prayer room this week, there was actually a picture of this. Um, that I snapped a photo of but didn't bring today. Uh, but throughout the Bible, when it talks about the position from which people pray, uh, the body language mirrors kind of the, the need that people have for God. And, and so people pray sitting, which is the norm in uh, kind of our American church. They pray with their hands lifted up. They pray sitting. They pray kneeling. They pray face down. They pray with their hands out to God. They pray in different positions to express their, their need for God. In fact, I would say that if you read the Bible as a whole, worship is just intricately, intricately connected to the position we place our bodies in. You know, in our flavor, kind of feel of Christianity, we just sit there with a cup of coffee. And I think it's one of the reasons that we, that we don't engage God the way that we should when we pray together and when we sing together. Because our bodies are not reflecting what should be taking place in our souls. And so while this was a culturally normal way for the people to pray that Paul is writing to, it was culturally normal for a reason. God, we want to be closer to you. God, we are desperate for you. God, we want to be near to you. And I'm not going to be able to get up there, God, but I'm going to put my hands out as far as I can. I'm going to reach towards you and trust that you're going to make up the difference as you come down here and impact my life. Our bodies should reflect should reflect 
what's happening inside of us. And man, I would just say like, like if you struggle to pray at home and you've been trying to apply this series and it's hard for you and all you're doing is either sitting there or laying in bed at night right before you go to sleep, then just change your position. If you're able, get on your knees, raise your hands, lay flat on your face. I mean, lay on your stomach and look up if that somehow connects to what you're expressing to God as you try to pray. If you're struggling to pray, then pray in a different position. Third, he says, holy hands. And this tells us that we should pray in a state of moral purity. Well, how do we have that, right? I mean, we, we show up here today, we all know the things that we've done wrong. And, uh, you know, you have a fight with your wife on the way here, maybe, right? Or you got mad at your kids and you came feeling guilty about that. Well, let me tell you how we pray lifting up holy, holy hands. It's not a secret. We repent. And repentance is, is just this. It's just saying, God, I've done wrong and I'm sorry, and I'm going to try not to do wrong anymore. And then you'll do wrong again, uh, but repentance is coming back to God and saying, God, I, I did wrong. And then, and then, and it's really key that you're a Christian to apply this fully. It's, it's saying, you know, Jesus, I, I'm thankful that you came and you died for these sins so that I might be holy. It's impossible to pray lifting holy hands if you're not a Christian because you have not been set free. Your sins have not been paid for by the blood of Jesus, even though he has offered that to you. Fourth, it says to pray without anger or disputing. It tells us that we should pray in a spirit of unity with our fellow Christians. I would extend this and say, and say we should be praying with the right attitudes and the right hearts. As Paul writes to Timothy, Timothy's dealing with conflict in the church. And Jesus talks about this in a parable. Uh, that we should do our best to be unified with others when we pray. And I would say we should do our best to have the right attitude as we approach the throne of grace that God sits upon. So here's the deal. I, I hope that you'll apply this individually. That, you'll, uh, that you will pray for spiritual needs, for all kinds of things, that you'll pray for others, that you'll pray with thanksgiving, that you will repent as part of your prayer time and that you'll check your attitude in your heart and you'll make sure to pray for the lost and remember to be a testimony to the lost that Christianity is true if you're a Christian. But even more, I hope this will just become a part of our culture. We're going to do something very different next week that's going to be wrapped up in this and uh, we're just going to devote more time to prayer up front. And uh, you may not like it. It may be weird for you. I, I don't care that much. Um, and, uh, and so let me just tell you. I mean, let me just tell you how we're going we're gonna to do things next week. Uh, it's not going to be a huge difference. I'm not going to uh, make you hold hands with the person next to you or anything like that. But, but uh, we're going to get up here. We're going to do one song. Uh, that you won't pay attention to uh, after Brandon says come pay attention to this song right and then you guys will keep talking and then you'll come sit down because somebody will come out and do the announcements right and then uh, you'll pay attention to that kind of uh, as long as you heard the same announcement seven times you'll you'll pay attention to that Ash Wednesdays this Wednesday uh, and then and then right after that right after that I'm going to come out and I'm going to invite you to stand with us and, and we are going to take a few moments to repent of our sins to God. You're not gonna have to talk to the person next to you. And then we're gonna take a few moments to check our attitude in our hearts, to question whether there's anger towards other people here or other people in general, whether you know, we've come with just <laughs> you know, a flippant attitude towards experiencing the presence of God. And then I'm gonna ask you to put your hands up in the air and we are gonna pray all kinds of prayers together. I'm even gonna encourage you to do it out loud. I know that some of you won't, and that's gonna be scary and strange, um, but I'm gonna ask you if you're, if you're comfortable and able to pray out loud, but we're gonna take some time, and we're gonna 
but we're going to make prayer central, first and foremost, uh, at our church services. And we're going to, it's not going to be a one-time thing. We're going to do that. At least it's been planned through, through uh, the next sermon series. I can tell you that, and we'll see where we go from there. I, I am convicted and convinced that if the American church is going to be strong again, uh, then, then we're going to have to urge that first of all, prayers and petition and thanksgiving and requests be made for all people. And, and so starting next week, we're going to do our best, uh, you know, in our, in our 110 person Sundays to make that a reality. I'm going to pray right now that we'll become that as a church. Lord Jesus, I, I want to, you know this, and, and the people who have been around a long time in our church know this. I, I want to lead this church in a way that is biblical and therefore godly. I, I, the cry of my heart and the other leaders at this church's hearts from the very beginning has just been, God, let us do it in a way that, that honors you. And God, I, I'm thankful that we have been a church that has taken prayer more seriously in our Sunday gatherings um, than a lot of churches I grew up in, you know, a lot of churches I've experienced. But God, I don't think we've gone far enough. Probably just to be culturally normal, to be comfortable or whatever, we have not gone far enough. I pray, God, that we would become a church uh, that is known for prayer. Uh, Lord, that is known for how frequently and how often and how deeply and passionately and fervently and how consistently and how we pray and how much we persevere in prayer, God, I, I, how audacious our prayers are. I pray that we would become a church of prayer as we, as we aim, God, to experience and express your glory here. Lord, I pray that every, I know, God, as we think about praying together, that can be scary for a lot of people, and I, I joked that I don't care that much, but I do care. And I, and I know, God, that praying with others becomes more comfortable as we do it. And so I pray that all these people would come back to, uh, next week to, to pray together, Lord, and that you'd add more to our midst, Father. Let us grow as a church of prayer. Let us be a church of prayer. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.